Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Max, I think it maybe have changed for you. Come back in. Charlie got a five-second penalty there after the little sort of race we had with, uh, with Sergio. World champion. Well, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> Incredible. We have travelled over 85,000 miles, completed over 1,000 race laps, but only four drivers have won this season, and only two constructors have won a race. But there is one world champion, which is Max Verstappen. Hi, I'm Louise Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Brian Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go. Today, we've brought the panel together to talk about this championship to date and how Max Verstappen has taken the championship for 2022. To discuss this with me, we have an extended panel. Sam, how are you? Hello, yeah, I'm good, thank you. How's it going? Very good, thank you. We have James McKenzie. How are you? I'm all right as well, thanks. I want to ask you how you are, because Sam's already done it. <laughs> we have James, aka The Preacher Man. How are you? Thank you. I'm wondering how long this nickname's going to last before it starts to disappear. But Catherine, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, it is worth just saying we've got a mixture of uh, different fans for different race teams on this episode. So we, we're going to hear some, some takes from all around the F1 perspective. But let's talk before we do anything else about what we expected going into this season we had new regulations new cars and what was sort of the expectation guys of the racing that this year would bring um james i'm going to hand it over to you well yeah i mean it was all new cars basically a year late originally planned for 2021 before a, a certain pandemic showed up uh i mean yeah it's easier to say what stayed the same than what changed but it, we all know we all know the, the major differences the the lower profile tires, the the floor being the the main source of 
downforce now rather than all the various appendages that used to be stuck on top of the cars and it was all a case of who's going to nail those regulations this year and well for the future. Now we had eight years of dominance from Mercedes didn't we Sam and it wasn't clear coming into this year if that was going to continue if there may be a new team taking the top spot but what did you think for Mercedes coming into this year? Well I I thought they'd be more competitive than they have been. And it's not that they've been uncompetitive uh, by standards of other teams. Honestly, I thought Red Bull and Ferrari would probably take a step forward. I thought Red Bull would maybe struggle a little bit because of how much they put into the the title fight in 2021. But I, the main thing is we were kind of sold that it'd be a racier season, more winners, more competitive racing, you know, more more variables, basically. Um, and I guess we'll have to discuss whether or not that was achieved. James P., what did you think of Verstappen coming into this year? Did you think he was going to carry that momentum, even though there were still question marks on, on how the championship had been won? Did you think this was going to be his year to prove himself? Completely. Uh once you've won your first championship, it gives you such a confidence boost that you take through to the following season, regardless of what the, what the position that that particular car is going to be in. So Verstappen was always going to be at 2.0 level. And as the season's gone on, he's certainly done that, which we'll get to later on in the show. But I think seeing just the dominance of how Max Verstappen's season has grown, it says confidence has, has grown. Uh, it, he has Schumacher-esque levels of, 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 of dominance and, and, and class now, which is only going to get better as he ages. I mean, the guy's only, what, 25? So he's going to keep getting better and better. Absolutely. And it was looking like Ferrari were going to be the main challengers for Red Bull this year. Now, Catherine, what did you think of Ferrari coming into this year, the, the start of the year? Uh, and did, did you believe that this might be the year for the Tifosi? I didn't think that Leclerc would win the championship this season. I still believe that Verstappen will go again and take it. But I did think that they might have a chance at the constructors because they were up there. And I think because also that they did such a huge step from the seasons that they had. So, you know, we were really hopeful. But unfortunately, it just showed that they weren't there in terms of reliability and strategy and many, many things. So I was hopeful. Unfortunately, it isn't our year, although the constructors is still open. But realistically speaking, Red Bull probably already have it in the bag. Okay, so let's talk about Max and his performance this year, guys. Um, He started with a DNF in Bahrain. Um, It was a win in the second race, but then another DNF in in the second race. This wasn't set out from the very beginning, was it? They they had Ferrari hot on the heels. Who would like to just talk to me about how we saw this at the beginning? The the DNFs are outside of Max's control, um, unless he's really overdriving the car and destroying engines, which, you know, he's a season professional he's not doing that um so they're out of his control but interestingly to build on on james's point before about how we've had a max 2.0 schumacher-esque levels he looked very unsure in himself at the start of the year we were talking about kind of crises in confidence and psychologically could he take the mantle of favorite of reigning champion and run with it could he race someone in a different way to how he raced Hamilton? 
he wasn't the, the plucky underdog anymore. So I think in hindsight, it just took him a little bit of time to grow into that, uh, that new role, um, which he has obviously done incredibly well now. He looks a complete veteran at this stage, of, of still very early in his career. So, yeah, it, he didn't look the finished product at the start of the year, but now he does. Okay, and and it was a different Max we saw from from the first race, um, racing against Charles. It was it, it was a mature Max because we 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 last year saw some some really tough fighting. Um, some of it across the line. Uh, we always refer to Turn Four in Brazil uh, as some of the bad racing. We saw cars on top of each other. James McKenzie, did you see a different Max from the very start of this championship? Maybe someone who had reflected on, um, on on his critics. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we wondered at first whether it's obviously you know you expect things to get edgier, spicier, whatever you want to describe it as. Towards the end of the season, obviously that was very much the case, uh, the case where you say about Brazil and Saudi Arabia last year, but it was pretty early in last season that that Max was getting his elbows out. Uh, we, we saw it in Spain really early on and Imola. Uh, I think there was a, an element of it that was probably, uh, maybe Max felt he needed to prove himself more against the seven-time world champion, whereas he and Charlotte are more on a level playing field. I mean, obviously, yeah, now Max has a championship, but they've grown up together and, you know, they've they've had their arguments as, as kids, but they seem to be pretty amicable now and... Yeah, I think it seemed like a much calmer, yeah, I don't know, a calmer Max who was more at peace with what he was. One thing I would say that to that, though, is one thing we ha- one thing that has been noticed is that Max seems to have got to grips with his elbows being out in terms of he has this particular style now. And there was a sentence that he said at the British Grand Prix, which really stuck with me quite a lot, which was, he was talking about Mick Schumacher because Mick, because he had that awful race, didn't he, where he had the car damage, he was going backwards all the time. And he he caught, was caught by Mick Schumacher and Mick was trying to pass him. And he got slightly aggressive towards the end of the line, which he would do, I'm guessing, because you want to keep your position. But he said at the end, he said, he said, oh, it's fine. He gave me the space so, we, so he didn't hit me or we, we didn't overtake. What he was doing there was the, was the psychological warfare that only people like Senna and Schumacher and Hamilton do, which is you say, you can try and pass me, but I'm not going to give you the space and you'll hit each other. So I'm going to give, leave it up to you whether I hit you. And the moment you've done that, you're toast in terms of if he comes across you again. And it's that style of maturity, but also aggressive controlled maturity that we're seeing now this year for me. And that will keep going. <laughs> Now, his, his number one contender was Leclerc, straight, straight from the off. Um, Catherine, do you think that's because Leclerc is, is not as bullish? He's, he, he's a softer character. Uh, Max could control him a little bit better. Um, because let's not forget, Leclerc was in the lead for a long time. Do you think Max was just, just biding his time? How do you see the Leclerc psychology against Max? I don't, I wouldn't say that Max would think maybe I can control Leclerc better because as like, um, as the other said before me, they had a different relationship from what Hamilton and Verstappen had. So, you know, against Hamilton, one can say that when you have younger drivers, they might think that maybe they are intimidating Hamilton. So that is why it's a completely different story with Leclerc. 
we saw him in a good position, but I don't think that it came from Verstappen's side that he lost his lead. I don't think that his sort of mentality went backwards sort of because of Verstappen. I just think that Ferrari, they didn't have a really good... They just didn't have... They didn't know how to handle the situation, I feel. They were in a good lead and they got maybe too comfortable. I think the other thing is that Max was so used to being an underdog in a battle with Mercedes. Years and years. His whole time in the sport, basically, has been Mercedes domination. So, yeah, 2021 was a case of this could be the only chance we get. And maybe that's why he was, you know, more fiery in 2021 against, yeah, who were clearly the the benchmark at that point where coming into this season, I think Red Bull knew they had a very good car. Yeah, Ferrari were definitely up there as well um, before everything started going wrong. But, yeah, I think that was the the mindset. He probably came into this season. I mean, he didn't have to put everything on the line all the time. Okay, so uh, around the table... Uh, Verstappen versus Leclerc in terms of racecraft, equal cars. Who's coming out on top? You know, who is the better racer? And we've we've seen mistakes made. And who who would you guys pick if you had to pick one? Uh, James, I'll, James P. I'll start with you. Uh, Verstappen, hands down. It was it would have been Leclerc at the start of the year, but Leclerc is missing. And please forgive my French. Uh, uh, Kenzie, uh, the je ne sais quoi. Uh, he's just missing that final bit because you don't see Verstappen spinning out of races. You don't see him buckling under pressure as I think Leclerc unfortunately has to have got a lot of time for Charles Leclerc, but he has, he is missing that final secret ingredient to make him world champion, world champion material. We thought he had it, but he's let so many things slip out of his grasp this year. The, the team mistakes aside, he's made his own. And until he gets rid of those, he will never be champion, unfortunately. I think it's that extra bit of experience, though, for, for Max. I mean, he 2018, he was crashing left, right and centre for the, the first half of the season. To the point, you know, everyone was saying, oh, does he need to change his style because he couldn't keep it out of the wall? And we have to remember that Charles, OK, they're the same age, but Charles came into the, the sport, what, three, four years later. Uh, and yeah, I think Charles will get there. Uh, this is his first year fighting at the very front, really. I mean, a bit of 29... 2019 when Ferrari had the rocket ship but yeah I think in qualifying Charles has proved that he's at least a match for Max and yeah it's just ironing out the the racecraft like you say which I think could come and this could be you know for years to come we could see them at the front so James you would put that as currently Max just just about currently Max yeah um, but I think potential wise Charles could be there as well Sam I mean, the news that will surprise nobody who listens to the podcast on a regular basis, James McKenzie has just completely taken my two points, which were Max is three years further into his F1 career and Charles Leclerc, Charles Leclerc is better over one lap. And that's pretty much the only main uh, you know, factor that he has over Verstappen at this stage of his career. There's a, a, a great debate brewing, isn't there, that is, is Charles just not ready yet? Or is he actually just an extremely good B-plus driver? I think it's very much the former. I've I've admittedly gone backwards and forth with it, with it over the year. I think he's just not ready yet. And I think in time he will be. Will he ever be better than Max, though? 
I don't think he will because I think Max is still going to continue to to develop. I think he's always going to be playing catch up. Um, and yeah, like you know, I, he may well take a couple of titles. Hakkinen beat Schumacher over a couple of years, but you know, would you say that Hakkinen is, you know, as you know, even Schumacher's equal? I'm not sure that you would. I think they're in a slightly different class. So yeah, it's. I think he's always going to be playing catch up in that sense. Okay, and Catherine. I think for me, it's Max too. It's just, I don't think that you can really compare the two for the reason that Max even showing how early he got into Formula One, it just shows you that he was meant for this. I feel like, you know, we had the Schumacher era, we had the Hamilton era, and now we're going into the Verstappen era. What I would like to point out though too, is that, for example, what Hamilton and Verstappen had was a father figure helping them out in you know, in their championship um, journey, which is like, it's really difficult because if you think about it, it's like these people, they have to go racing every day. Be like, if I mess this up, I basically lost my season sort of. And for Leclerc, I think it was really difficult because he started racing with Jules Bianchi and then unfortunately, sadly, he lost him. And then he was getting into F1. He lost his father too. And that is not easy for a young driver who is just getting to go and trace the bu- like against people who basically are just on another level. It's two reasons there. You've, you've touched on basically why I really hope that Charles does succeed. Is He's got the makings of an incredible story. Like it, The build-up to his career has been something straight out of a potential movie in the future. And also, yeah, I mean, Max is special. We all know that. And I really hope that Charles can match him. Or you say, yeah, we could be in for a real era of dominance, which we don't want coming out of another era of dominance. So I really do hope that Charles is right up there. But also, I think people are being a little harsh to Charles. He did, he binned it in France and yeah, made the mistake in Imola. But that's not why this this title battle fell apart. You, you, you're completely right. And you know, uh, yeah, as, as I said, I think I think Leclerc will win championships. I just don't think he's ever going to quite be the the favourite or, or dominant in that sense. And just to, to touch upon the the Bianchi point as well, there's this kind of beautiful mirroring or reflection that's going on with Charles' career, where you almost feel like he is living out the career that Jules would have had. You know, he was an heir apparent to a Ferrari seat. And there's this beautiful kind of yeah, relationship there. So I, th- I think, yeah, absolutely, Mackenzie's spot on that it could be this really poetic story when, when all is said and done. So I agree with you because that is one of the main reasons why I would want Charles to win a championship. And especially for him to win in a Ferrari, it would be even more special. What I also would like to point out is how during the season, I forgot where we were, but I heard the commentator say that Leclerc was unreliable. And I feel like that was a bit too harsh because I don't think that he is an unreliable driver because an unreliable driver wouldn't be able to hold up the pressure of driving for a team like Ferrari who messes up every single weekend. And also in the past, we also saw him do some really great races like Monza 2019. It was his first season when he was truly competitive because he had a good, although illegal car. And um, and he was Not officially. Basically- not officially, but, um, and he was literally up there 
just giving Lewis Hamilton a hard time. So I don't think that that shows that he's unreliable. Quite the contrary. I think it shows that we have a future world champion there and, you know, we need to treat him better. I think part of the, the problem for Charles is that Ferrari's mistakes breed his mistakes and then his mistakes make Ferrari have to overcompensate and try riskier strategies to try and claw back that ground that they've lost. And so they've got themselves into this, you know, cycle, this catch-22 where they can't get out of it. And in a, a, in a different environment, I think Charles would, would yield better results and be more comfortable. So if we look at it on paper, uh, Charles had uh, a, f- a few mistakes this season. We've got Imola um, and also the French Grand Prix. Max has made mistakes, uh, the most notable Singapore Grand Prix. No, I was just going to say, but, but the, the difference there is that Max minimises his mistakes. Yeah. He, he makes mistakes when it is less costly. So there are mistakes between the two of them, but you only get potentially one year where you have the ability to to get a world championship and Leclerc next year might not be in that position you may have George Russell who's um, up at the top and he may have missed that opportunity now a lot of what you guys have spoken about is the team side now Ferrari and Red Bull have been completely different this season Ferrari have made a lot of mistakes Red Bull have it's even difficult to count if they've made any, what is the team's responsibility on creating a world championship, guys? And do you think Ferrari can really take ownership of of losing this for Leclerc? Ferrari have forgotten how to win championships. Uh, we've talked about it on other podcasts as well. The, the, the team just hasn't got anyone in it who won those championships in 07 and 08 anymore. Or oh, it's been such a long time since they last won one that they've lost that final bit of perfection they need to, to get to, to do everything. Mattia Bonotto spent so much of the season denying there was a problem, denying there was an issue with the strategists. And it's only taken him until the last couple of races to realise, to say the words immortally, we have to make changes, which is I think the closest we're ever going to get to Ferrari admitting there's a problem now. And... Until they rectify those issues, they will never challenge for a championship. And that's not trying to mean being a, me being a negative Larry. They, well, no offense to Larry's, there are other names available. But the, the, the problem is, is that Ferrari have completely screwed up Charles Lecle- Charles Leclerc's and Carl Sainz's season by doing things that are completely random. Uh, to finish off my point very quickly, that's someone else talk as well, is I will never forget Mon, I will never forget, sorry, Hungary, where they put Leclerc onto hard tires on a cooling track that was damp. I know where we sit at home, but nobody does that. So Ferrari have to do some real changes before they can get to the top. Unfortunately, those mistakes are now ingrained in Ferrari's DNA. And they need to find a way to get those out, separate them and get rid of them. Because, and it's not that Red Bull haven't made those mistakes, but they've made those mistakes when the stakes were less high. They, you know, like the Ricardo uh, race at Monaco, where he should have won, but there was a mess up in the pits and he was obviously furious with it, redeemed himself a couple of years later, but they were making those mistakes when they weren't championship ready. And Ferrari have consistently made those mistakes when they weren't championship ready and when they were. They haven't learned. And I think the problem is, is that Red Bull has had a period of continuity under Horner and Newey and the the driver lineup. Yes, has chopped and changed a little bit, but you've always had a kind of consistent um, number one driver. 
And Ferrari, their management group has changed multiple times in the last, what, 15 years since they won a driver's title. So I think that's where the, the difference is. You make a good point. Um, I, th- I think there need to be fairly sweeping changes in in Ferrari's kind of yeah operational way of working. I mean, they I, I like Matteo Bonotto, uh, but I'm not convinced he is the man they need at the top. I think they need someone who's not Italian. That might be controversial, particularly for for Ferrari. But you know, you you see. I mean, yeah, we, I'm not the biggest fan of Christian Horner, but I think it's you can see what he's done for Red Bull. Similarly, Toto at Mercedes. I don't know, Bonotto doesn't strike me particularly as the leading figure that Ferrari need. I think he's been there a long time and he's done a very good job. He's clearly very technically minded. Uh, I like to Riva Bene. I thought he was great. Maybe a little too fiery, but uh, I don't know. I think they need someone to stabilise the ship from kind of outside, like Jean Todd did, came in with some, you know, rational thinking and saw where the issues were. I think with Benotto, what it is, is that he isn't a leader, in my opinion. It's just, so we complain a lot about Christian Horner and sometimes he does annoy me because the man has to complain about everything. But when I see him, for example, speaking about Max or even about Sergio, he, the way he speaks about them, he acknowledges them as part of the team, as part of the engineers. Whereas Binotto, for me, I just find it disrespectful how, like, for example, one of the drivers has a bad race and you see him point a f- point his finger in Leclerc's face. Like, this isn't your child, you know? He's still one of the empl- employees here. And it's just, I don't see him as a leader. And especially when, I think it was after Spa, he said that, um, that they are hoping on Max to win a championship. It's like, it showed how much hope he lost in his team. And for me, that isn't a good leader because even if you know that you probably now have no chance, but you do not go and say that, you just still believe. And what you said about like not having an Italian team principle, I can see what you're trying to sort of put across, but at the same time, it's just, I think it depends. If it had to be an Italian or maybe a French team principle, I think it would be best. I wouldn't imagine, for example, someone English, like helping out Ferrari. It's just, the thing is, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's with Italian teams, maybe because I get a lot from Italian culture, but they have a passion that I don't think that like other countries have. So I don't think that if someone not Italian would have to be team team principal, that, you know, that you would have that. I think the beauty would be lost. That's the strangest and most indirect way I've ever been told that I lack passion in my life. (laughs) (laughs) It's just different, like the Italian way. You know, I don't know, maybe because I really love Italy, but um, I'm not from Italy, but still, it's just the way they do they do things. Those people are passionate about sports, especially. Like even if you see them when they didn't make it to the World Cup, it was a like a nation crisis, you know. Wait, wait, so, sorry, which, which time that they didn't make it to the World Cup? The 2018 <laughs> one. I think now they just they were like, it's already and happened. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole image of Ferrari, the whole essence of Ferrari is political in itself. The Tifosi will have a very bad race uh, and the media will tear them to pieces. It's just the way Ferrari works. The reason why Jean Todd came in was to shield the team from that. He was very particular with that. He and Ross Braun and Schumacher were were triple-packed. 
and they said, "Ah, right, you do, we will all do our own individual thing, but we will hide each other from the politics." Or Jean said, "I will deal with the high end stuff. You two do your thing." That's why the team was so successful. There was no back. There was no backbiting, no back bitching. There was nothing. The team just got on with the job. And the problem with them with Matteo Bonotto, as great as he is, I'm completely with with uh, with you as well, uh, Sam. Is that Bonotto and, and everybody else? Sorry, is that Bonotto just lacks that leadership quality? Arriva Bene was fantastic because he soaked up the political pressure. He wasn't the greatest team principal, but he still was able to soak up the pressure, right? So that's what Ferrari needs: someone to take away that full frontal pressure that they always seem to face politically. And I don't know who the best person to do that is. Horner is fantastic at it. So's Zach Brown. Uh, and uh, sorry, I can't think of another team member. That's Toto Wolf as well. But there's no one for Ferrari who can do that. But that's the, Bonotto's a brilliant grade A number two guy. That's how I feel. And to defend James McKenzie's point, I think... I think you're right in saying that Bonotto is too close to the source. Ferrari has this such a larger-than-life um, impact and importance in, or at least from the outside looking in, on Italian culture and motorsport. Whereas I don't think the UK or other parts of Europe, not just the UK, have that necessarily. Like, I mean, I don't care about Vauxhall that much um so yeah it's no um i joke but yeah i think i think there is a, a, a real point there that you james phillips your point that you need that barrier absolutely i think that would allow bonotto to operate in the way that he would want to take off the kind of the politics from his desk and make a much more effective organization and you know what I think what people forget sometimes is, and I'm sorry if I'm going to go back to football about it, but it's true. Um, Ferrari, they are owned by the Elkin family. And if you think about it, the Elkin family in Italy, they they are also part of the Agnelli family, which basically have an empire, especially in the north of Italy. So I think for them, it is a bit difficult to just let like some outsider come in and sort of take over like the family business, if you guys, if you can see it from that point of view, because it's just, it is such like a family heritage too, when it comes to that, that I don't think that it is that easy for them to just choose someone who, for example, isn't Italian or who can create that barrier. I think it's just difficult for them. And I agree. And I totally, I see the point about the passion and I love the passion. I think it's about harnessing that passion and controlling it. And like, you know, the example of, yeah, Todd, uh, Schumacher and Braun, you know, a Frenchman, a German an Ital- and an Englishman coming in with that Italian passion was, it was perfect. And it was, it was about controlling the passion. And, you know, there's, there's a reason, re- there's a reason that German efficiency is, is a stereotype and we've seen how effective it is with Mercedes, but uh, I believe Ollie has some uh, stats about exactly how Ferrari have dropped the ball this season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So in a fantastic article that was um, published just before the Belgium Grand Prix, so August time, um, TotalMotorsport.com, I will give you credit for this, um, they estimated how many points Ferrari had dropped so far in the season. Now, they came to the calculation that Ferrari had dropped 201 points by that stage. That is um, driver errors, reliability, strategy. Now, the interesting bit is reset reset the table. Um, In an imaginary world where Ferrari and Red Bull had no reliability issues, at that point in the championship, it is estimated Charles Leclerc would have been leading just Verstappen, and Ferrari would have also been leading the constructors. Now, we don't live in an imaginary world, but proof of all the the errors uh, and the mistakes and the the points that have been thrown away up until that point. Now, undig that, guys. Do do you think Ferrari by Spa could have actually been in the hunt, James? Uh, No, I don't think they would have done. Ferrari have great pace over one lap, but race pace they lack. And they've lacked it for a good number of Grand Prix now. And at Spa, particularly, that Red Bull car was a rocket ship. It just took off and just never looked back. So uh, I think Ferrari had an opportunity to... to Ferrari's opportunity, they needed to do a, a, a Braun GP, if you like. Uh, they needed to start the season off and they needed to win everything they could, fast as that's where possible, and lots of qualifying positions, because Red Bull were always going to catch them. It's, it's Red Bull, they're an elite operation. Because they threw away that opportunity, the the gulf between the teams is even bigger now. I, I I don't see how they would have. I don't I don't see even in an ideal world with no reliability problems or or, or strategy that that Ferrari would be leading or would have been in the fight by now. Okay, interesting. Now the the the, the Red Bull car was a rocket ship from Spa. Sam, do do you think the the pace of the car, even though Max wasn't. It isn't openly happy with it. But how much do you think that plays into it? Red Bull certainly taken a step forward since the, the summer break, and I think that would be close. You know, in this hypothetical scenario, that would be the difference maker. I think it would be a lot closer. I think James Phillips, you make a really good point about Ferrari's race pace, but I think if you look at unreliability in a wider context, in terms of not just is my car broken, but also is my strategy broken, a lot of that lack of race pace was because of broken strategy. So I, I do think it would have been a lot closer. It was certain, certainly would have been a fight. And dare I be slightly contentious, if there were to, for whatever reason, be points deducted um, for whatever breaches that might have occurred, I think you'd have a much more intense finale to the season. Very, very uh, astutely politically put in there. Right? <laughs> Points, points deductions. Always the do- the diplomat. <laughs> Always the diplomat. <laughs> now there are two drivers in each team. How do we feel they've performed compared to their, dare I say, number ones? Um, Science had an awful start to the year. He hasn't really had much of a better start. And Perez, 
he's just Perez. He's just such a number two. Um, Sam, what do you make on the number two drivers in these two potentially championship winning teams? Well, just one point, and actually one point in it. Speaking of number two drivers, Perez is the number two driver in the championship as we speak. He is ahead of Leclerc because of all the things we've just talked about. Um, for, for me, Carlos Sainz has been has been disappointing. And Sergio Perez has been inconsistent. Th- those are those the two kind of tags that I would give their seasons. Leclerc, sorry, Sainz didn't quite ever get off the, the ground. He won at, at Silverstone, but that wasn't really a completely clean race there was a lot of variables going on there was weather there was crashes and incidents you know all that stuff he hasn't he's lost something from last year he he's struggling comparatively to Leclerc where he was giving him a good run for his money by being so consistent in 2021 and Perez again has had sparks of this kind of you know, that, that quality that he would need to take the fight to Verstappen, but I just don't think he can sustain that over a, a, you know, a period of time that would allow him to, you know, mount a serious title challenge. I think with Perez, it's just, I find it a bit weird. Because, for example, when you had Mercedes dominating, okay, Lewis Hamilton was the best driver if you compare, for example, Hamilton and Bottas. But the thing is, you still had Bottas up there, and in fact, they would tell Bottas, for example, let Hamilton pass or something like that. Whereas with Perez, it was a bit different because there was like 17 seconds or more difference between Verstappen and Th- There's Perez. lots of shaking heads here. And I th- uh, I'll let Sam say why. <laughs> Sorry, I know I've just spoken, but I just want to jump in and say thank you, Catherine, for allowing me, for resurrecting my favourite topic of conversation, which is Valtteri Bottas was not a very good number two. <laughs> too often he was lost in the pack. I don't think he actually was, you know, there were occasions when he had to let Hamilton through. I think there was one occasion. (laughs) (laughs) Over five years. He won on average two races a year or something like that for Mercedes, which for me is just so underwhelming. James McKenzie, you lit up as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think Valtteri is a genuinely good driver on a Saturday. Uh, I think we've seen that. He, he, gave Lewis a run for his money quite often in qualifying but yeah on race day he just didn't have the consistent pace over a race normally and yeah he he wasn't as good a number two as as Sergio has been to Max to be honest for the most part you know Sergio last year did everything they needed he they you know he fought with Lewis in Turkey and Abu Dhabi and slowed him down to the point that effectively decided the championship I think he's actually the perfect number two for Red Bull finally after all their years of struggling junior drivers but is is science number two? It's it, it, science number two, though. This is not public knowledge. This is this is uh, this is what how we see it. We see a better driver, uh, a driver who's underperforming. It's not it's not clear cut like let the other one through like we see with uh, Verstappen and Perez, is it? Catherine, I'll go back to you. <laughs> with science, well, I was going to come to is that. Okay, so for me, it was disappointing, as Sam said, and I would agree with that. Because following what happened last season, when he was showing how consistent he was, I was hoping for a better performance, especially at the beginning of the season. But at the same time, I would say that Ferrari treats 
Carlos like a number two, but he doesn't want to be a number two. Because if you think about it, for me, Carlos Sainz is really underrated. He showed it at McLaren and he keeps showing it at Ferrari too. I don't know whether you guys would agree with me, but it's just I think that he didn't have enough support from the team. And I get that the team would need to choose a driver who's going to win the championship and who's going to be the number two. And I guess then that is where, you know, Sainz needs to decide whether he wants to be the number two or whether he wants to look elsewhere and compete for a championship, I guess. James Phillips wearing the McLaren uh, top. What, what, what do you think of uh, Science as a number two? I'm going to partially disagree with you on that, Catherine. And I'm going to say that the science at Ferrari this year is not the same science that was at McLaren. Uh, McLaren, the McLaren science was fast, consistent, had a chance of winning a Grand Prix when he really shouldn't have had that opportunity, and was all, and very rarely, if any, if any, made any mistakes at McLaren. I can't think of anything on top on the top of my head. Whereas since he signed that new Ferrari extension, he has not been the same driver, which I find quite ironic. Really, once you sign a contract, you tend to lose your speed. But Australia, when he binned it. Um, in qualifying, did he bin it? I can't remember. Did, did he bin it in qualifying? I know he binned it in the race. Did he bin it? I in think the ra- it was only in the race. Is in the race. Yeah. Um, but when he binned it in the when he binned it in the race uh, after having a difficult qualifying session, and, and he's had to slowly build his speed back up. He's not been on the same pace as Charles completely, but he's just he hasn't got that confidence that Perez has. Perez knows what he is. He's a number two driver, Sergio Perez. He's a very, very good one. And I'd argue perhaps a little bit too compliant as a number two driver. Uh, Science is still trying to prove himself as a number one, but he's not having much luck. But I would definitely say he's a far, he's, he's not the same driver he was when he was in Papaya. Yeah, I think as, as much as Red Bull will argue that Perez isn't a number two driver, like, let's face it, like he is. That, that's as, as much as I need to say on that. Charles Leclerc, though, and Carl Sainz, coming into the season, you're going, yeah, but Charles is a higher potential driver and he has more pace, but Carlos is more consistent and that led to him beating Charles in 2021. So there was this big kind of, how will Ferrari rectify this situation? And actually, Ferrari have taken that issue off the table for the year by their incompetence in strategy and the mistakes that have been made. So... I think that is an argument that lives to fight another day. However, it Carlos Sainz's stock has has definitely taken a hit over the year and he will have to be the one really proactively making the argument that he isn't a number two because if push comes to shove in a championship fight next year, if he is up there in the same way that, I don't know, I can't think of two teammates being in the championship fight at the same time off the top of my head, but... 2007? 2007 yeah there you go and you know I think if push comes to shove Ferrari are going to go we trust Charles more you know he's the he's the, the the guy for us and also I think a lot of what makes Carlos Sainz great are great number two attributes consistency being there you know, dependable whereas Charles has a lot of those kind of flashy number one driver qualities about him yeah, I mean, I think people forget just how unlucky Charles was last year. Like, Carlos was definitely consistent, but yeah, Charles had a, a, a horrible season overall of luck that kind of skewed it in a way that we've seen a bit with with George and Lewis this season, where they've been very closely matched. Lewis has probably been the slightly quicker over the course of things, 
but uh, but George has amassed the points just by kind of being in the right place at the right time. Um, but yeah, to go back to what James was saying about about Checo, yeah, he he definitely is a number two, and we kind of saw yeah he had a very strong start to the season, uh, and then he had to move out the way for Max in Spain, and then was told not to fight with Max in Baku, and then whether it was something mental to do with that or whether it was just yeah people have spoken about the development of the car going away from him he just he just disappeared i mean it's clearly you know in his contract he's a number 2 driver but does anyone disagree with that in perez's contract he's he's there to support red bull racing as a fantastic driver perez 100% is but when you're saying move over regularly um and it's very clear that you're letting a teammate past I think they've got a clear one and two at Red Bull. It's it's as clear as day to me. To be fair, I agree with you. And at the same time, I do not think that Perez would even be bothered by that situation. Because if you think about, not like, of course, he would love to win. But at the same time, he is in a car that at least is giving him podiums and that occasional win. Whereas for a very long time in Formula One, he wasn't really competing as much. We saw him shine the most when um, Racing Point had their last season as Racing Point. So I think that for him now, he's like, you know what? I have a really good car. I might not win a championship, but at least he's getting some, you know, points and achievements for himself. And now he's pretty old too, so. Paris has made good of the hand that he's essentially played for himself. He hasn't been dealt the best hand, but he's got himself into the best situations possible. But just to kind of segue slightly... Teams seem to operate at a championship level most efficiently when there is a clear one or two, because there's no kind of internal conflict in that sense that you saw through the Hamilton and Rosberg era. And Ferrari naturally had that during the Schumacher era. Irvine and Barrichello were not on the same level as Schumacher. But Carlos Sainz, although potentially not on the same level as Leclerc, is a lot closer than a Barrichello or an Irvine. So there is a problem there that they have decided that they wanted, basically. They could have kept a, a, they could have hired a much more obviously second driver. Mm. I mean, I I would just say, I'm looking through the stats here. Perez has only won, he's won two races this year and they've both been races where Max couldn't have won. Um, uh, Statistically impossible. Now, I want to just finish the show by talking about some of the highlights, the best races that we've seen. Now, um, the one that sticks out to me would be Silverstone, where we saw all of these guys battling. And yes, there were some some team errors in there, but what were the highlights where you've seen a world champion drive? And what were they? And why did you love them? Obviously, I've just called out Silverstone. I think that must be one of them. But you've got to also look at the race that we've just had, Suzuka. That was that was an incredible race. I'm going to give it to James McKenzie first. I mean, it, was, it was kind of half a race, but it was a, a very good yeah, half sprint a race, race yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. You can't really argue with uh, with Max's performance. Uh, like we said on the, the race review, he made up pretty much a second a lap on average, and. Uh, yeah, that and Belgium, I think, have been his standout performances this year. Obviously, Belgium, we all know, coming through the pack from 14th, like it was as easy as anything. Yes, it was definitely the best car over the weekend, but he did made it made it, he did make it look very easy. Uh, yeah, Silverstone was probably my highlight as a race. Uh, it was it had a bit of everything. Uh, it had a 
a first time winner as well in Carlos, which was which was great to see. Uh yeah, it's that that was the race of the season so far for me. We've got four left, you know. Could have something crazy. I, but I do want, just quickly to add, I want a, a surprise winner. We had Gasly in 2020. We had Ricardo Anok on last year. I want someone else. Well, it's it's Hamilton's only season of his career without a win so far. Just just adding that in there. Um, James P, what was your standout? And, and also, what was the most exciting that you've, you've seen from, you know, Max, Leclerc? The most exciting from Max and Leclerc will definitely be Saudi Arabia because that was so close. Uh, the cars were doing exactly what they were intended to do. Very close racing, literally millimetres apart. Uh, so for me, that, that that's not really been topped to see those two battle like that. Best race, I'm with Kenzie, to be honest. I'm going to have to say, I'm just going to have to say Silverstone uh, for two principal reasons. One, go Tifi. Uh, in, quali- in, in in qualifying in Q3, uh, which has not been in the, he's not been able to beat that since. And second, just because we had Max Verstappen's car go wrong, we had Ferrari bullying up the strategy again. Uh, we saw Le- Lewis Hamilton overtaking th- what was it two three cars in the space of a single corner. Uh, Mick Schumacher trying to battle uh, Max Verstappen to get his first ever points in Formula One. It, it, it was just a race where you just didn't know where to look and. I'm sure that they will have another great race like that this year, but that there aren't that many that, that can top that for me. Suzuka was great, but it was so heavily delayed and didn't, it, it was, it was great, but it just didn't have that same level of uh, intrigue and drama that for me, Silverstone just captures so perfectly along with the great fans. Catherine, what was your, what was your highlight? This is going to sound boring, but I'm going to have to agree. I think it's Silverstone. It's just first of all, we saw go to Ify and, in Q3 and then he literally just spun in front of me while I was at Silverstone so I had to love it you know he gave me everything and then um and then like even the race you had Carlos Sainz it was his 150th race he won that too and he also had some pole position had a good win and then you had Leclerc who Ferrari messed up his strategy you had Paris trying to compete Hamilton trying to compete Verstappen messing up you had everything you know unfortunately we had a really bad accident at the beginning too and it's just I think every season we need to have a reminder of how important the halo is so that was terrifying to see and I just hope that we see less of that next season and yeah, I think that was the best race so far. With Japan, I didn't really... Well, not that I didn't like it. It's just, I think, because I was so tired. I took a nap while I was waiting for it to start again. So I just woke up and I didn't know what was going on. So I couldn't appreciate it as much. And fi- finally, Sam. I mean, they've all they've all been said, really, haven't they? The, the standout races in terms of entertainment and also... Verstappen dominance or, or dominance from a, a driver. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo what everyone else has said. What I do think is to kind of you know loop back to what we were saying about the regulations at the start of the season. Those early races were so full of promise as to what the season could be like. And even Bahrain that had a real dull patch in the middle of the race started great, had a brilliant fight between Verstappen and Leclerc. And we're thinking, oh God, another great championship fight. And it ended in, you know, chaos for Red Bull and, you know, that brought the race to life. So that for me is the race I look back on and kind of think, yeah, there was so much promise and anticipation that I really enjoyed. Um, 
so yeah, I'd, I'd maybe go with Bahrain, even though there were some real dull moments there. I was going to say, I thought Bahrain was also a fantastic race. It, it's 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 hard to always remember the start of the season once you get going. Um, but absolutely. Max Verstappen is now number seven on the all-time list. Um, he is above names such as Mansell, Jackie Stewart, Nicky Lauda, Jim Clark, Nico Rosberg uh, in terms of all-time wins. He he's making a mark now do we think this is going to be the Verstappen era or there's going to be a change now it's it's scary at the thought of a dom- another era of pure domination um Mackenzie do you think there could be a challenge next year because this has been far too easy well you never know he's got what 32 wins and two titles he's exactly matched Alonso so maybe he and Horner have a massive falling out of the Christmas party he makes a move and then another wrong move, and then another wrong move, and he, he stays on this forever. You, you, you don't know. Uh, now, realistically, I think he's going to be at the forefront for the foreseeable, and I just hope that there is a battle. And yeah, it will be great if next year we can continue this, and Charles and hopefully yeah, Carlos can be there to battle with him, and hopefully Mercedes come along and make it a three-way fight. I mean, in an ideal world, Alpine and McLaren too, but realistically, if we can get three back at the front in the kind of early 2010s kind of sit up, set up, then that would be great. Yeah, I mean, that's all we can really ask for is, is just more teams involved, more drivers winning races and, you know, not having huge runaway kind of championships. But with Verstappen, I think it's too early for greatest of all time arguments obviously he's 25 but I do think when all is said and done he will have the most championships he will have the most wins I don't know if he'll have the most polls because I think that's the area where he could be pipped by a Russell or a Leclerc but I think he he's got enough time and Red Bull is such a dominant and well-oiled outfit that he has the resources to make that happen he could have another 15 years, easily. And do we think you stick Verstappen in another car and you get similar results? Do you, do, do, James P, do you think he is one of these drivers that is unstoppable? A bad car will stop a driver, end of story. If you put him into a Haas, he would never win a race again. You but know he, what I mean. Yeah, but, <laughs> but he would. But if he, if you put him in a Haas, he would definitely ring it like Fernando Alonso does and have the ability to get up to, you know, near the points. F1, F1 has always gone through a period of extreme dominance. It's part of the championship's um, uh, basic backbone. So I think if you were to put Verstappen into a different car, he wouldn't win the races anymore, obviously, but he would give it a damn good go and he would continue and he would give the team a bit of an elevated status wherever he ended up, for sure. So he outperforms the car. Yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. You say about it being part of the backbone of F1 dominance, it's only really been this century. I mean, there wasn't a, a back-to-back winner for for a long time, was there? I think it was between 94 and, I mean... I. Th- 60s potentially was it between Brabham 59 and 60 all the way up until Prost 85 86 something point is yeah there, there wasn't the same level of dominance we've seen this century we had Schumacher then Vettel then Hamilton and now it could be Verstappen and I just I hope for the sake of the sport that it gets mixed up a bit more not to be that guy but didn't Senna win in 90 and 91 I went before that I was saying Prost 85 86 
Oh, okay. Well, uh, okay. Yeah, so there were there were a couple obviously. that were back to back. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to, to to play host for a second, Ollie, if you don't mind. In identical cars at the moment, who would win, Hamilton or Verstappen? I think you need to open that up to the rest of the grid, then. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm asking everyone. So, so let's, Catherine. What do you think? That's that's a hell of a question. <laughs> it is really difficult. And but and why? No one word answer. It's one driver and why, Sam? Yeah. I would go with Verstappen. Now I don't know whether maybe because when I started watching the sport, Verstappen was the you know upcoming driver. So maybe it's because of that, but. I just, I don't know what Verstappen does on a racetrack for me. It's just he's on another level. And I just, I like how he's arrogant and how he doesn't care, you know. It's just, he like goes for it. And sometimes like, you know, I watch um I watch old races because unfortunately I wasn't born when you guys were. So I have... <laughs> don't, don't give me that look, Sam. We're, <laughs> we're old, we're lacking passion... <laughs> Anything else? Boring old Englishman. What's the triple threat? What's the third thing? <laughs> but um, it's just, I don't know. Like, Verstappen, I feel like, you know, he makes it exciting. He just gives that bit of drama too. And okay, all drivers whine sometimes, but it's just, I don't know. With him, it's different. I like him. And normally, I don't like people that dominate, but I like him. To, to answer your question, Sam, uh, by the way, I love you playing host. We should do this more often. Um, I'm going to say Hamilton because he has the, the tool set. He's, he's done the years. He, he's seen every, potentially most scenarios that can play out. I, I think he's, he's a veteran. I, I think you, to answer your question, it's, it's Hamilton. I think it would be a, a Prost louder kind of situation. Uh, right now at the points in their career 84 85 where yeah like you say ollie lewis has all that experience i think yeah right now i mean i lewis is still very very quick don't get me wrong i think he's probably lost you know one or two percent just through just biology uh i think and stress (laughs) yeah yeah and having been around and gone through a lot uh and yeah i think probably at their peak peak pace around a track maybe yeah max would have a slight edge right now against peak lewis it's so hard to call these hypotheticals but i think over the course of the season it would be very close uh yeah consistency versus outright pace and genuinely i don't know if they'd make it to the final it would be who who crashed who was the luckiest when they inevitably repeatedly crashed this is basically last year's uh, question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> who yeah, who won then, last uh, year? So and then who, depending who on, <laughs> depending on I mean, who Michael Massey decides, uh, no, we'll leave that. I, I would have loved to have asked it about Leclerc and, and Verstappen, but as I think we've kind of established, Leclerc's not quite there yet. But James Phillips, it's, it's your time to shine. Verstappen or Hamilton? Uh, Hamilton. And to use, Mackenzie, your example, I'm going to say it would have been like a Senna Prost in 1988 because it, it was toxic away from the team. It would definitely be toxic within the same team. And 
I just think for Hamilton, to your point, Oli, he has seen, he's seen every trick in the book, but also Hamilton is a lot more uh, cooler under pressure than I think Verstappen has. Verstappen has a tendency to, in the nicest possible term, throw his baby toys out of the pram when something goes wrong. I've never seen the air turn blue on a radio before, but until, until he started last year, last season, uh, Hamilton can get cross as every driver can, but he just retains his composure just that little bit more, and I think that would that would hold him in high stead when he when he if he was battling his uh, his equally illustrious teammate. So Hamilton for now. Okay, we did run a, a poll on our uh, Facebook group, which um, sort of lead, leads me towards the end of the show. But which seven-time champion was the greatest of all time? We had over a thousand votes. We had over one thousand two hundred votes. We had one thousand two hundred sixty votes to be exact. Now, fifty-seven percent. This is it was quite close. Fifty-seven percent said Michael Schumacher was better than Hamilton. That you know leads that- us for a conversation for another time. I think. Oh. Oh, oh, I have so much to say, but I'll try oh, to say it. Me too, my friend. Me too. <laughs> me too. Where do you even start with that in terms of trying to try and tackle that? Because that's a... Pinkis, oh. I'll agree with that because last time I was oh. watching a documentary... Hold on, we're not going into it. No, no, no. no, no. no, no. Um, so I hope we've summarised the highs, the lows, and covered some of the points uh, that, that that you wanted to sort of dissect about this championship. Max Verstappen is the 2022 world champion. It was a little bit um, confusing when it was announced, but he is the world champion. Guys, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I, I think what's fascinating about this this discussion is that we're having it now, in October, after Japan. After three or four rounds of the season, no one would have predicted that the, the the title would be wrapped up this early. And even if they had, they probably would have lent towards Leclerc, who had what getting on for fifty point advantage over Max at that point of the season. So, I think that's the kind of the the cherry on top of the the cake, carrot cake. on top of the icing. Yeah, on yeah. top of the yeah. yeah. Um, that's not a good combo. Carrot cake would be terrible. I'm not, Evil. I'm not big on those, uh, what are they called, the uh, special cherries. <laughs> Morello? I'll Morello that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> this is the content special people cherries. sign up for. This will be yeah. on the TikTok. Everyone's born with a special cherry, Ollie. Um, <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> and you ain't taking mine, brother. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I think that's the context that makes this interesting, is that we've actually had to have a specific early driver's championship review because it's been so dominant whereas last season we could wrap it up nicely into two sections because it went to the final lap of the final race yes it's ironic really like you say people were worried that red bull's uh red bull's unreliability was going to rob us of an incredible championship battle it's been totally the opposite i think just Hats off to Red Bull for solving those reliability problems so quickly because it was two retirements in three races for exactly the same problem. It looked like it was going to affect them all season. They turned it around so fast. So it's just it's just not what you... Well, no, you do expect it's Red Bull, isn't it? So, but hopefully next year will be a bit better. Well, let us know your thoughts on Max Verstappen and the World Championship. Email us, info at formulanerds.com. We will we'll read some of your comments at the start of the next show. Do give us an email. Let us know you're out there. Let us know we're not talking to ourselves, even though we thoroughly enjoy it. 
Um, James McKenzie, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your views today. Thank you for having me. It's been great as ever. Uh, Sam, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, James was sounded surprisingly kind of unenthusiastic then. It's almost like he didn't enjoy himself. I had a great time. What do you oh, want? What do you want? Woo, woo, woo. I was there just trying go. to avoid saying uh, always a pleasure, really. It's yeah. like, you know, when, oh, yeah. it's like, you know, when, you know, it was like, give me a cheer. And I was like, woo. And they're like, you can do better than that. Yeah. So, sorry, sorry for playing that part, James. Sam is going to take over as host, I think. Uh, Catherine, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was, it's always a pleasure. Oh, and James, on. I feel Don't like. No, I'm Don't trying. I'm trying desperately not to do this. And James, P, for Preacher. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. It's uh, never a chore at all to be on the podcast. Did, did we get all the way through that? Not quite. We've, we're missing one bit. We will see you next week for some more. Goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Podcast Network.